Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you again. Uh, uh, for some of you in person and others, uh, uh, thank you for once again joining us online. Uh, it's wonderful to hear stories of uh, testimony and just how the Lord uses different people in different ways and the way in which he has gifted uh, each one of his people. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for that and encouraged by that. You know, it may be that you have uh, been to the theater and uh, when you've gone to the theater, perhaps you found yourself enjoying just a, a wonderful story and being entertained by this account, this, this story that is being portrayed in front of you by the actors on stage. If you have, then you're also probably keenly aware of the fact that behind the scenes, there are a lot of different things that are going on which uh, have helped to give shape and, and, and purpose and meaning to what is being acted out in front of you. Now, there's a sense in which uh, sometimes as we come to some different portions of Scripture, the Lord in His wisdom allows us to peel back the curtains and get a sense of what is going on backstage in the throne room of heaven. Uh, again, in His wisdom, He uh, has not given us maybe every detail of every piece of information that maybe some of us would crave. But he has given us a scene, an understanding of what is going on in the heavenly realms for the purpose that we might not only be reminded that it is not, this life is not just about what is being seen, but also that we might be strengthened, that we might be encouraged that we might be equipped to, with boldness, live out our identity in Christ for those of us who have come to know Him. This morning, as we continue our series that we're calling New Beginnings, and we're traveling together through the Old Testament book of Zechariah, we, in a sense, get one of these behind-the-scenes looks, the peek behind the curtain, and, and a vision of what was going on in the throne room of heaven, even as things were working out in the stage of earth. And as we come to God's Word together this morning, as we think about this whole idea of a new beginning, I think that this is, is something which is vitally important. And, and my prayer for us is that we would not just simply look at what we're going to find together in God's Word as being interesting information, but rather that we would recognize that God has allowed us to peer behind this curtain, that we might understand reality and understanding reality, that in different ways, where we each find ourselves, wherever we may be on our spiritual journey this morning, that we would experience a liberty a freedom and a joy that is perhaps greater than any that we have ever yet come to know. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me in Zechariah and chapter 3. Zechariah is uh, one of what we call the minor prophets. We call him a minor prophet not because what he has to say is unimportant, but simply because the minor prophets are shorter in length than the major prophets. And you can find the book of Zechariah uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, just before the prophet Malachi, 
and then the beginning of the New Testament in the book of Matthew. So Zechariah chapter 3, and as you turn there, we read these words. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on a stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave the inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, again, we find ourselves here in a prophetic portion of Scripture. Uh, it can be a little bit challenging to understand all that's going on in our first read-through. And, in fact, this is the fourth vision that we find in this book of Zechariah. And this vision really is a continuation in some respects of the vision that we looked at, if you were with us last week in Zechariah chapter 2. There we saw that, uh, that the Lord gave Isaiah, uh, Zechariah rather, a vision, and, and uh, there were two angels. One of them was described as being the angel of the Lord, and we talked about the fact that that designation often refers in the Old Testament to the pre-incarnate Christ. And then there was another angel who was instructed to give the message or the understanding to Zechariah of what was being laid out before him. And so when we begin here in chapter 3, and it says, then he showed me, this is a continuation from chapter 2, the he who's doing the showing is the angel that we met in chapter 2. And what we see here in this opening portion of Zechariah chapter 3 that I've just read is that sin leaves us condemned before a holy God. But He graciously justifies and cleanses those that He has chosen. And we see this, uh, th this wonderful vision, and this vision that is given to Zechariah is taking place in the throne room of heaven. And actually, the language here points to it as being almost like a court scene. And, and we're told that he showed me Joshua, the high priest, and this individual Joshua is referred to also in the book of Haggai in chapter 1. He's referred to, although his name is spelt a little differently in both the books of 
Ezra and Nehemiah, and he was one of the exiles who had returned from captivity in Babylon back to the land, back to Jerusalem. And he was in the role of uh, and the position of high priest. And, and so even though this is a vision, uh, what's very clear from the context here is this is the behind-the-scenes heavenly happening, the heavenly reality of what is, in a sense, being played out on the stage of earth. And he says, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, and stand, he was standing before the angel of the Lord. And so we get this idea that the angel of the Lord is perhaps seated on the throne, or perhaps seated in a place of judgment there on the throne in the throne room of heaven. Because then there's another character that we're introduced to, and this character is standing at the right side of Joshua, the high priest. And this would have been the position that in a courtroom, the prosecutor would take. And so the one who was bringing the charges against the defendant would stand in this place. And we are told that the identification of this prosecutor is Satan, who is standing at the right hand to accuse him. Now, Satan is not actually a proper name. It is a title, and it simply means the accuser. But here in Zechariah chapter 3, just as in in Job chapter 1, and as we find throughout the book of Revelation as well, this Satan, this accuser that we are talking about, is the devil himself. Now, for some of us, uh, we may be a little bit disconcerted by this because we don't really like the idea of the fact that we find Satan or the devil in the very throne room of heaven. It seems like that's uh, that's the wrong place for him to be. But again, Job chapter 1 helps us to understand this because there we discover that all of the angels and even Satan himself have to come and give account before the Lord God Almighty in the very throne room of heaven. As Martin Luther once said, even the devil is God's devil. You see, we need to understand there is no cosmic conflict taking place in the universe between God and Satan. Everything that Satan and his demons do are still under the sovereign power of Almighty God. And here we see in the throne room of heaven this scene, this courtroom scene. And Satan is doing what Satan does, and that is he is accusing. Now, I I, want to be very clear here. In this courtroom scene, uh, there is no indication whatsoever that the accusations that Satan is hurling at Joshua the high priest are illegitimate. There is no indication here that they are false. Now, Jesus himself in John 8, 44, uh, says that uh, Satan, that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. He is a deceiver. And, and, and so we must always be on guard as believers because he is cunning, he is subtle, and he is deceptive. But here... In this scene that is laid out for us as we peer behind the curtains, as we're going to discover in just a few moments in more depth, we are going to see that Joshua is clothed in filthy 
garments. And that is a reference to his sinfulness. And so here in this scene uh, that is playing out like a courtroom, Satan is accusing Joshua over his very real sins before a holy God. And we need to grasp the reality of the fact that this is not just Joshua who, in the presence of a holy God, is shown to be utterly sinful. It's not just the fact that as the high priest, he represents the the people of Judah, the people of Israel, and, and, and is an expression here of their sinfulness. But the reality is that as the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That before the presence of a holy God, there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who is without sin. And so we have this frightening scene. And yet, and yet, as the scene unfolds, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the judgment seat, Satan leveling his accusations... We see here that in this heavenly courtroom, as the angel of the Lord sits there, as the eternal Son of God presides over these proceedings, that he will not allow Satan's accusations to be heard. Thanks be to God. In fact, look at this in verse 2. It says, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord Yahweh who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And so we have this scene, the accusations which are legitimate because of the sinfulness of Joshua, they're the high priest. And yet we are told because the Lord has chosen Joshua, because the Lord has chosen his holy people, because the Lord has chosen that he will show mercy and grace, that these accusations will not be heard or accepted in this courtroom. In Exodus chapter 33, as Moses encounters God, As he has asked, God, would you show me your glory? Allow your glory to pass before me that I might know you. God, in a sense, formally introduces himself. And as a part of that introduction that we find there in Exodus 33, 19, uh, we see that the Lord declares of himself, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But you know what? That's not just an Old Testament picture of God. In fact, in in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul quotes that same verse again. And it speaks about the fact that, that God has no requirement, no obligation to show mercy. God has no obligation to be gracious, but rather he chooses to set his mercy. He chooses to set his grace on those that he chooses to set it on. And so he rebukes Satan, saying, have I not chosen Joshua? Have I not chosen Jerusalem? Have I not chosen for myself a people? How dare you accuse 
what I have chosen. So we have this wonderful, beautiful picture, and it's not done because it continues. In verse 3, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. I've already alluded to that and uh, spoken of the fact that it really points to the reality of his sin. And, and in the original language in which this was written, they could hardly have been any more intense in the picture here, because it wasn't just that he was wearing dirty robes. In fact, the language really points to the idea of the fact that he was covered in excrement. That is how filthy these robes were. And you know, it is a reminder to us of the utter sinfulness of sin. You know, a lot of people like to think, well, you know, it's not really that big a deal. I'm a pretty good person overall, and at the end of the day, uh, God doesn't really have a problem with me because there's a whole bunch of people who are a whole lot worse than I am. Uh, My good stuff, it kind of outweighs the bad stuff. No, if, if that is your defense on the soon and coming day of judgment, and we will all stand in the presence of the Lord to be judged... If that is your defense, then it shows that you have no grasp whatsoever of the holiness of God. And even if that may be your own opinion of your own self, what does that opinion really matter when the God of the universe, who is the perfect and righteous judge, sees the reality of your sin? And when Satan himself takes great delight in hurling accusations at you and displaying all of the juicy details of your sin and mine. See, as Zechariah was given this vision, he sees the sinfulness of sin and the wonderful, infinite, matchless grace of our Lord God. Because it goes on, and he says, Now Joshua was standing there before the angel clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And and, and we have now this picture of, of these filthy robes being stripped off of him. The removal of his guilt, the removal of his sin, but not just that. You see, the reality is before a holy God, a sinful man, a sinful woman, all people are in desperate need of a remedy for their sin. They're in desperate need of of, of being forgiven, of being washed clean, but not just of that. We need more than that. You see, he doesn't just remove the robes, but he dresses him in pure vestments. And the announcement is made. Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And so then we have Joshua standing here in in robes of white linen, spotless. As the prophet Isaiah said, though your sins were red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We see that it was not because of anything that Joshua did. 
but purely because of the grace, purely because of the mercy of our God, that his sin is dealt with, it is taken from him, that in this divine courtroom, he is now presented as clean. And not only are his sins forgiven, but he is announced to be just. In fact, we see this. Uh, uh, Zechariah even speaks up and says, Lord, you've replaced his garments. What about his turban? Put a new one of those on his head too. And the angel comes and places the new turban on the head. And then it says, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Now, when we see a phrase like that, it's actually speaking of the fact that he was giving approval to what happened. Some of you will remember that in the book of Acts, at the, Steve, at the stoning of Stephen, it says that Saul stood by giving his approval to what was happening. And here in the throne room of heaven, as he is announced forgiven of his sins, as they are removed from him, and as he is now announced legally justified in the presence of God, we see here the approval of the angel of the Lord. Nodding in agreement for all that has taken place. We're reminded of the fact that his filthy robes have been exchanged. And we're reminded that in what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary, he not only bore your sin and mine. He not only took the penalty that we deserve. He not only provided a way for that which was filthy the sinfulness of our sin to be dealt with. But as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, our sin was placed upon Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. And we have this beautiful picture here. And as the text continues forward, uh, we're reminded of the fact that, yes, this is, this is in the Old Testament. And, and because we today stand this side of the cross, I have already been uh, uh, showing us and, and pointing us to the fact that really ultimately this is fulfilled through what Christ has done. But even here in this passage, we see this wonderful picture. Because in these prophecies that we find in the book of Zechariah, we not only get to see a message that is given, an instruction and an encouragement to those who were returning from exile in Zechariah's day, but we also get to see the promise of all that God is doing as he prepares the way for his Messiah, his Christ to come. And so, as we move to verse 6, we see that those who are justified and cleansed are recipients of the promises of God that are given only through the atoning work of the Messiah, Jesus. What I mean by that is in verse 6, it starts off, and we see that Joshua is recommissioned as the high priest over Israel, and then he's given this incredible promise. We see the recommissioning when it says uh, that uh, the, the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge over my courts. And that's talking about the temple courts. It's talking about his position of leadership. It's talking about the fact that he is to obey the Lord and be an example and a model and a testimony for all of the people. But more than that, I love this. Continues, and he says, And I will give you the right of access 
among those who are standing here. Think about this for a moment. Where, where is this scene taking place? This is unfolding in the throne room of heaven. And this promise is being given. I will give you the right of access right here. Right here in the throne room of heaven, in the presence of the angels, you get to come freely. And folks, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an incredible promise that we have, that having been cleansed of our sin, having been forgiven, now dressed in the righteousness of Christ, we have access to the very throne room of heaven. There's a sense in which we have that access right now. Right now. The book of Hebrews speaks of this. It it tells us in the book of Hebrews, since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect is tempted as we are. Yet, Without sin. And now listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have an invitation to the throne room of heaven right now. But but this is also true in terms of what we look forward to. That those who have been washed clean and justified because of the mercy of God, because of his lavish grace given through Jesus Christ, we look forward to being able to stand in the very presence of God for all eternity to be with him. And he will be our God and we will be his people and he will wipe away every tear from our eye. What an amazing promise that we see right here in this wonderful vision that was entrusted to Zechariah to share with the people. But we also see here that Joshua and the priests of Israel are in a sense only a sign for the people of what the coming Messiah will do more completely. And what I mean by that is is if you look at verse 8 and following, you see, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, and your friends who sit before you. This seems to be a reference perhaps to, to the other priests of Israel. For they are men who are a sign. And then it goes on to say, Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And so this is speaking of something which is yet to come in the days of Joshua, that he will bring my servant the branch. And both of those, the statement, my servant, and the statement, the branch, they are names or they are references throughout the Old Testament which refer to the promised one of God, the anointed one who would come, what the Jews would call the Messiah, what we today call the Christ. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, for example, in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, we read there, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. 
And so this is the branch that is being spoken of. This is a prophecy of what Jesus himself will do. And it goes on in verse 9. There's rather a complicated statement here. It says, For behold, on the stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription. You know, scholars debate a little bit over this. Um, uh, the, the, the seven eyes can also mean uh, seven facets. Uh, this may be a, a reference to Jesus the Messiah himself and the fact that, that the eyes represent his omniscience. Uh, it, it may be something related to Joshua the high priest and the kind of robes that he wore. Because in Exodus 28, it, it says that the high priest is to wear robes and uh, on his shoulders he's to have a stone which is engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel. And on his turban he was to have a gold plate which again was inscribed and it said, Holy to the Lord. And so we don't know for sure what this reference to the stone is here, but it, what comes after it is very, very clear. He says, And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And so when this branch, this righteous one, when this Messiah comes, what he will accomplish will bring about the removal of iniquity, the removal of sin once for all. For those who will respond to his invitation. And in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under a tree, under his vine, and under his fig tree. And this is a statement. It's something we see several times throughout the Old Testament. And it was looking forward to that idea of that in the day of the Lord, in the day when he returns that there will be a peace, that there will be a unity, that there will be a prosperity, and that there will be a rest. And it's just this wonderful, beautiful picture here. Friends, there's so much going on in this amazing passage. Uh, as we have gotten to peek behind uh, the curtain and, and see something of the throne room of heaven and what's happening here. And what we really see in this passage is that only through Jesus, the Messiah, are we justified and cleansed because of God's amazing grace. But it's one thing to have a look at this vision. It's one thing maybe even to be fascinated by the details. It's one thing to cheer along when the robes are taken off and the fresh, pure robes are placed on. But, but you see, there's some things here that we cannot leave this vision. We cannot step away from the curtain without recognizing and realizing and confronting ourselves. And that is, the first of all, we see here the reality of judgment. Friends, this is not something that we look forward to. This is not something that many of us like to dwell on. But we see here the reality of judgment as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The New Testament is replete with references to the fact that there is, in fact, a real judgment that is coming where every single person will stand before the judgment seat and every thought, every intention, every word, every motivation of the heart will be laid bare before the living and holy God. And what we need to understand is that there is not one of us who apart from Christ is not like Joshua 
dressed in filthy robes. Now, I know that there are some who are listening to me and you're thinking to yourself, it's not a big deal. This is, this, this is crazy. This is not important. A loving God, well, uh, if he's loving and gracious, it, 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 it's, it's just not a big deal. Folks, if it's not a big deal, then why did he send his son to lay down his life to bear your sin on the cross? If it's not a big deal, why did he not just allow Joshua to walk around in his, in his filthy robes? Because God is eminently holy. And none can stand in his presence apart from by his grace. And none will enter into his eternal rest except having been purified by the blood of his son. Do not kid yourself that judgment is not real. Do not kid yourself that you'll be fine on that day because you know when you stand in the presence of a holy God, when those accusations are leveled against you, when you are, when the sinfulness of your sin and the filthiness of your cosmic treason against this holy God is really laid bare, you will be nodding in agreement over the word of condemnation that is spoken. If you are outside of Christ, none will argue with God over his fearful word of judgment away from me to the place of fire that has been prepared for Satan and his angels. The reality of judgment is real. The reality of an eternal hell is real. Jesus himself spoke more about the reality of hell than anybody else in the whole Bible. It's real. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, we have this gracious and merciful God who does not treat us as our sins deserve, that because he has made provision through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, because Christ laid down his life on the cross of Calvary, bearing our sin, forgiveness is available. That those who will trust on Jesus Christ, those who will respond to his gracious invitation, not trusting in their own merit, but purely on what he has done, they will hear on that day, remove the filthy garments from him. Behold, I have taken your iniquity away and I will clothe you with pure vestments. On that day, we will stand there confronted with the sinfulness of our sin. And we will, in that moment when Satan goes to accuse us and to spill out those accusations that are real about your sin and mine, we will hear the Lord say, the Lord rebuke you. That has been paid in full. And we will rejoice, saying, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. 
the reality of judgment is real. And today, friends, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoice that your sins are forgiven, that you have been washed clean in Him. But if you are watching this live stream, or if you are here in the sanctuary before me today, and you have been making excuses, and you have been saying this is no big deal, and you've been saying, I'm a pretty good person, and on that day, God will just kind of pat me on the back and say, good try, then do not fool yourself any longer. Today, cry out to him, saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wash me clean. Take these filthy robes from me and dress me in white. I trust in you and not myself. Don't wait any longer. And we not only need to recognize here the reality of judgment, but briefly as we conclude, we can also, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, as we look at this passage, be reminded that through Christ, the accuser's accusations cannot touch you any longer. That's not only true here in this scene of, of the throne room of heaven. It not only has to do with the, the coming judgment, but the reality is, even though if you are in Christ, your sins have been forgiven, there is therefore now no condemnation through the, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We still have this enemy who is still an accuser. And though his accusations no longer have merit because the, the debt has been paid through Christ, he delights to whisper in the ears of believers some of those things that perhaps you've heard subtly whispered in your ear. You'll Never be good enough. Don't kid yourself. God might forgive others, but not you. Not after what you've done. Of course God doesn't love you. Nobody could ever love someone like you. That abuse you suffered? Oh, that's all you deserve. It's probably your fault. You did it again. You're worthless. You're hopeless. You're useless. We need to know the reality that there is an accuser. And though our sins have been dealt with, Though he cannot speak up in the presence of the throne room of heaven and accuse those for whom Christ has purchased them, he still loves to seek to discourage, to depress, and if he can possibly do it, to derail you from taking that next step in your walk with Christ. Or for some of us, maybe he's whispering even this morning in your ear, it's no big deal. Don't listen to this guy. You're fine as you are. Judgment and sin and it's all just fairy tales. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, please know this. The accusations of the enemy cannot touch you anymore. There was a time 
when dressed in those filthy robes, that those accusations were legitimate. But Christ has borne your sin. He has removed those filthy garments. He has dressed you in white. He has said, I love you, and I have set my righteousness upon you. And listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for you. And there is no accusation that Satan can throw at you. There is no guilt, there is no shame that can hold you in bondage if Christ has borne your sin on the cross. If he has put it to death and if he has raised to life and clothed you in his robes of righteousness, you are clean, free, precious, and justified. Only through Jesus, the Messiah, are we cleansed before God. And it is through his grace He has justified us. And if he has justified us, then he has cleansed us. And if he has cleansed us, then you are truly his. And even the accusations of Satan himself cannot touch you. So today, let me close by simply asking, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have been leaning on your own sufficiency, your own goodness, would you make today the day that you click on and you speak to one of our prayer counselors online? Would you make today the day that you cry out to him and saying, God, I, I can't do this. I acknowledge my sin before you and I need you and turn to him. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been walking with him perhaps for a little while, perhaps for many, many years, but you feel that weight of guilt and that weight of shame and you feel every time you try to take a step forward like you get tripped up, like you get reminded of that thing from the past. Would you cry out to God in praise, thanking him that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and asking that he would help you this and every day to walk in the reality of who you are now in him as one dressed in spotless white before his throne. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, what an amazing scene we see in the courts of heaven of how you graciously wiped away Joshua's sin. But thank you that that was not simply for a man who was a high priest some 2,500 years ago, but because of what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary laying down his life once for all as a payment for our sin and taking it up again victoriously, that today, today, we can experience your forgiveness and your justification, not because of anything that we do, but purely by grace. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the incredible promises. We thank you for your amazing grace that you extend toward us. And Lord, I do indeed pray
that those who know you, who are under the sound of my voice this day, that they would walk in freedom that you have purchased for them. And those, Lord, who, who have never yet taken that step, that this would be the day that by your Holy Spirit that you would convict them of sin, that you would show them the beauty of the Savior and that they would run to him and have their filthy robes stripped away and become dressed in garments of righteousness. I ask this in your glorious, matchless, and holy name. Amen and amen. Well, again, we want to thank you for joining us this Sunday morning, whether you're here in person or have logged on online. We are so thankful uh, for the time that we've been able to spend with you. I want to leave you with this benediction from the book of Jude, even as we hope to see you once again next Sunday morning. There it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.